So in the first episode of this series, we talked about managing ourselves in the kingdom, which was managing our attitude, our private lives, etc. In the second episode, we discussed how Israel gained territory under the leadership of Joshua and how kingdom advancement came to a halt due to a lack of managing a command from God and how that applies to the things of the Spirit. Well, in this episode, which is the final episode of this series, we're going to We're going to merge those two concepts of managing self and gaining territory and how that applies uh, to managing relationships. Hey everybody, this is AJ and I have my wife Amanda on the podcast with us today. Hey. All right, let's just dive right into this. So let's build on this by starting in Genesis. I'm actually going to read from Genesis 1 verse 28 it says and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth right here the command given after the blessing was to be fruitful and to multiply which shows us the heartbeat of god was to expand his kingdom not just on his own merit but by using his people that he created people were the resources used to spread God spread God's kingdom because when we bear his character his glory covers the earth through us uh, understanding the ancient writing this was someone when they would build an image a king would build an image that would represent that he owned that territory and people mankind was made in his image so seeing people was God expanding his kingdom. So if they would be fruitful and they would multiply on the earth everywhere man was, that would be the image of God and therefore his glory would be covering the earth and he used people to do that. So merging um, or taking from episode two, expanding the kingdom is not just a spiritual endeavor, it is a relational endeavor as well because God has always used people to spread his his image and his name. Then we jump down to verse 18 and we see a prologue as the story kind of steps away from creation of, of the earth and animals and it focuses specifically on mankind. It's kind of like this on-ramp and we see the focus of the author. Now bear in mind, nothing else in creation ever gets individual attention just mankind you don't see animals you don't see the earth you don't see fruit and trees getting any individual attention this was only reserved for people and here's what it has to say in verse 18 then the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him so Real quick, helper is, it's a decent English substitute for the original Hebrew word used here, which is azer, but it's not really a perfect translation. And I'm glad I have my wife on the podcast because I'm (laughs) sure she'll appreciate this. Helper, uh, which is the Hebrew word azer, is one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. Thus, helper does not imply weaker or stronger but simply complementary to um, helper is kind of a a polluted word in our our culture and context because it's it's almost subservient 
or yeah like an assistant secretary you know to a ceo you know it's a it's an important position but one that's below right there's a lot of mental baggage that comes along with that word helper uh simply because it's it almost implies that you can do without um i can do without an assistant i can just work really hard overtime i don't need a helper and that's not what the text is saying at all so to fully grasp the gravity of the word azer, let's look at the phrase, I will make him. So make is the Hebrew word asa, which alludes to construction. It was a very much a, a construction verb. The word means to manufacture, actually, when you, when you study that word out. So in verse 21, the Bible says that a deep sleep came upon Adam and God took a selah, which is best translated to the side of a building. Um, the translators did their best and they put rib there because they were filling in the gaps with their knowledge of maybe it was a rib because it was a side. But the Hebrew literally says, he's, you know, bear in mind, asa means a, a, it's a construction verb. And then salah is the side of a building in its translation. So what the text is saying is he took one half off of Adam. Mm-hmm. So think of, think of a home and you remove 50% of that house and you use the materials of that and you build a whole other house. But that house is still only half. And there's this, there's say it, it's four walls and one has uh, no right wall and the other one has no left wall. Mm-hmm. And then you bring those, okay, here's a better illustration. Think of a double wide trailer. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's incomplete by itself until you bring the two halves together. Then it becomes what it was designed by the manufacturer to be. Whole. So it's whole. So wholeness is what is illustrated here. So when we read this, we're seeing that after the deep sleep came upon Adam, God separates him. And man and woman alone going forward was operating literally at 50% capacity until they came together. And we see the full culmination of this uh, passage in verse 24, where it says, Therefore man shall leave his father, and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh mm-hmm. it's showing us uh oneness was the end goal it's wholeness when it came to managing relationships we see that two halves coming together formed perfection harmony or unity so that's just a uh it's a fun study i like doing that study because i think it, it brings a correct viewpoint to relations um which this isn't in the notes but this is uh this is something i would like to dive into and expound upon later but this is an even deeper meaning as to why a lot of christians when you really dig deep into the hebrew in the original context why we we can't get on board with same-sex marriage because it's it's not whole a man and a man it's two, it's two buildings still one half and it's not becoming whole. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it can't become whole. Two ladies together cannot be whole. It's still, still missing uh, the parts. It's, there can be no real unity in that context. So uh, taking that and we're seeing the importance of relationship, let's move on a little bit more. Immediately outside of the garden in Genesis 4, we see the, dis- the destructive consequences of sin as it affects two brothers. And before I get into Cain and Abel, 
it's important to notice that a lot of uh, a lot of people in church culture as well as in um, secular culture who look at the Bible, there's a lot of blame that was uh, focused on Eve because Eve, you know, fell prey to the serpent. She ate the fruit, then she gave it to Adam. So a lot of people focus on on Eve as the one to blame. However, if there's true wholeness and unity, both are, are to blame in the scenario. So Jewish rabbis, when they read this, they actually teach that Adam was just as much to blame in the, the fall because he was not there when Eve was being tempted by the serpent. So essentially, they ask the question, where was he? Mm-hmm. He wasn't there with his wife. Uh, he was the one who was specifically given dominion over the animals. And if he would have been there, he would have told the the serpent, "You're out. You're out of line. We have dominion over you. Just don't speak to us anymore." But where was Adam in this the scenario? Mm-hmm. The the man was not there, and the woman was alone. So that's an interesting uh, viewpoint. And you know, we can only take so much from the text, but it is a, it is an interesting viewpoint, and I prefer to see. Um, a little bit more wholeness there rather than just all shifting blame on one. So we need to keep a healthy mindset in the context of relationship. But moving on immediately outside of the garden, we see this destructive consequence between two brothers. And the Bible shows us that both Cain um, offers God the fruit from the ground and then Abel offers God the firstborn from his flock. And the text in the original uh, language actually says that God paid more attention to Abel's offering and he didn't really acknowledge Cain's and this angered Cain. As you can imagine, you know, if you if so, if you feel slighted, um, you know, you run to daddy, it's two sons run to their daddy and one uh, built this amazing Lego set <laughs> and maybe the other son, I don't know. Planted a garden or whittled a stick. I don't know. And then the dad was like, oh my God, the Lego set's amazing. The second son's going to feel slighted. And there's so many varying opinions as to why God paid more attention to Abel's. And I'm not going to get into that in this this, uh, conversation because it's just not relevant. But the bottom line is there was this, this dissension. There was this jealousy that rose up. And it's the first time we're actually seeing jealousy in the Bible is right here. And it's because there was more attention paid to one than the other. So it's a real emotional response. Uh, Cain's response was real. And interestingly, I don't think I have it in my notes here, but God actually goes to Cain when he sees that he's jealous. And this is an interesting uh, conversation that I wish I would put in the notes. But God literally goes to Cain and says, I noticed that you're upset. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, don't you know that if you would do well, you too would be acknowledged. So God is communicating and we're seeing uh, open dialogue and communication between God and Cain. And that's, that should have been healing, but the jealousy still was there and it led to, uh, led to murder. It led to Cain calling his brother into the field and murdering him. So when God asks uh, Cain where his brother was, Cain replies this famous phrase, am I my brother's keeper? So, my question is this when we look at that what would have happened 
in the context of kingdom expansion if Cain would have been his brother's keeper. Right. We would have seen uh, more advancement. We would have seen double the families moving forward rather than just one family. And even from here, Cain was uh, cursed and was sent away and marked. And then Adam and Eve start over again with the son, Seth. And then we get two lines that are so different out of the line of Cain. We see murderers and crazy stuff going down. And then out of the line of Seth, we see Noah, (laughs) essentially. So we're seeing that this, there's this conflict that's rising up in the Bible between people. God's original design was to use people to expand his kingdom. And now people are not able to agree. They're not wanting to be each other's keeper. They're, they're fighting, they're murdering with one another. And it's kingdom expansion is, is hampered here. It's not moving forward correctly. Uh, they're expanding. They're, you're seeing that there's nations coming up, but they're not bearing the image of God anymore. They have fallen below their, their original calling simply because of a lack of unity. So we see in Genesis four sixteen, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And this was uh, interesting to me because the word Nod is Hebrew for aimless place. And it was further east of Eden. And bear in mind that Adam and Eve were already cast out east. So now they're getting further east. And the paradise was west. So they needed to have turned around and headed in another direction to get back to God. But instead they kept going further. Right. They just kept getting further and further east. In fact, it's interesting that the, um, the presence of God in the tabernacle was facing west. So when you entered through the, the, the first, the outer courts, and then you went into the inner courts and then the Holy of Holies, you were walking west. And it's a nod back to this. So he goes away from the presence of the Lord. He settles in the land of Nod, which is aimless place. And he's getting further away from paradise where relationships were correct. And it's just interesting to look at those subtle nuances in that verse because without God and healthy relationships, we get further and further from our design and we settle into an aimless place. Mankind is on track for a very frustrated future at this point in history. He's aimless. And it's it's true in life that when we don't have relationship with God and with people, we end up being aimless. Essentially, we settle into an aimless place. So moving on, we see it building up and it boils to a point in Genesis 6, 5, where the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And notice that the, the author is showing us that the wickedness was great with man. It's showing it that the relational side is just deconstructing and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Mm. It's they're wanting us to see something here that the relational side has been destroyed. And it's at this point where mankind just, there's no relation whatsoever that God sends the Hebrew Nuach, which is rest Noah. He sends rest through Noah and it just starts all over again with fresh relationships. So in every point of biblical history where we see God reaching his limit, where he just like caps out, 
and does something drastic. It's when man disregards the sanctity of life between other people. Mm. It's everywhere throughout the Bible. So obviously we could spend the entire episode breaking down the Old Testament, but I wanted to pull these thoughts out to show the heartbeat of God. And his design was to expand territory using people bearing his image. That's how his glory would cover the earth, was through people. So he wanted unified people. Now, I want to kind of steer away from the Old Testament because I, I feel like if you've listened to episode one and episode two, you just, you're getting the concept of the Old Testament. You get where we're going with this. And I want to shift gears and move to the New Testament for this episode and spend a little bit more time there. Because there's a lot of things that I would like to pull out and to discuss and get your input on. Because we've talked about this quite a bit, actually. Yes. Uh, building yeah. up to this conversation. And uh, I want to have a conversation on how to make what we're going to talk about for the remainder of this episode applicable to day-to-day life. Right. Because I think that that's the true heartbeat of this episode. He has a long runway that he's got to get off, though, first. I love the so, Old Testament, and I want to talk about it constantly. I do a lot of sitting for a while. <laughs> um, let's see. So to do this, I'm going to read from a very, what's going to seem like an odd scripture in the context of this conversation. But once we break that passage down, we're going to see that it is perfectly applicable to what we're talking about in this episode. So Matthew 10, 16 It's very odd, like I said, in the context, but it says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The reason why this is uh, such a good scripture for what we're discussing is the word sending right there. The word sending is uh, from the Greek word apostello, which it means to send out. So it's the verb form of the Greek word apostolos, which means one who is sent. And that's, that's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on. So this is where we get our word apostle and our modern uh, verbiage today of apostolic. So we're going to talk about what it really means to be apostolic. It's got a lot of history here in these yes. notes, let me tell you. Yes, this is... Uh, this is a very passionate topic of mine mm-hmm. because I hear a lot of people use the, the word apostolic. We had apostolic church tonight, and it's usually meaning we shouted and danced all over the place. Stomp Satan on the head. Yeah, and they use that as uh, we had apostolic church. Well, you had, you had an experience with Jesus. That is very true. You experienced him through worship. But in the... The meaning of what apostolos is, you didn't have apostolic church. And we're going to talk about what it means to be truly apostolic. So the noun form apostolos is it's not a word or concept that was exclusive to the church, first of all. So when you, when you hear this word throughout the New Testament, it's not something that originated with Uh, born-again believers following Jesus. This is actually a borrowed term. Right, or the Jews. Right. This isn't exclusive to Jewish culture. It's a Greek word. It's a Greek word, exactly. And it was borrowed from the Roman legions, actually. Um, Living in that time, when you heard this, you would have known exactly where their mind was at. So the Greek 
word was used exclusively in Athens in the 5th century BC, and it literally means one who is sent. So the noun form is apostolos. The verb form is apostello. It was used, um, when it was used as a noun, it's used as, it was referring to an admiral or a general officer chosen by the consul to command a fleet or to command an army in a military expedition. Okay? These were less of warriors and more of, um, they would they would lead these expeditions into gaining territory. That was their primary objective. Mm-hmm. So think of an ambassador. Uh, it was also used uh, more intentionally as a person who was chosen to command a band of Greek colonists in order to establish a settlement in some other part of the world. So to be an apostolos was the greatest responsibility given to an Athenian because part of Rome's strength was expansion. Was that, their ability to acquire new cultures and peoples and assimilate them. Exactly. They they were the kings of discipleship. They would that's why a lot of the the European culture at this point in time was primarily Rome because Rome did such an excellent job of sending forth these uh, apostolos individuals with a group of people with them, and they would go into a city. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more so that you really get the vivid imagery of what Jesus is actually saying here in Matthew. So, in the commission of Rome, it was uh, it was to conquer the known world by way of military advancement into new territory. So once a region was conquered, then the apostolos would be sent to the area along with fellow colonists to indoctrinate that region to the ways of Rome. And with authority, knowledge, and power of the Roman emperor behind them, he would have the former gods of the city. So I guess let me just break it down here. Say say a legion of of centurions went into um, a neighboring city that was opposing them. They went into battle. They they were victorious. They won. Rather than totally destroying a city, that was not advantageous to them. So they would, rather than completely destroy and spoil a city, they would send the apostolos there. And they, they basically owned them by threat and authority and power. Uh, the people weren't going to uprise against them because it would have meant certain death. They left them alive and they would send the apostolos with much diplomacy and um, not really kindness, but he was very professional when he went into the city. He would go into the city behind them and he would have the former gods of that city torn down. All of the Roman gods would then be set up in their place. He would then model their political system to mimic that of Rome. They would uh, begin using the Roman form of currency to purchase items. They would teach them the ways of their currency, would set them up um, with taxes and they would even uh, hire natives of the region to be tax collectors. And this is actually where we get Hellenistic Jews. Matthew. Matthew was a Hellenistic Jew because he was a tax collector. He was working for Rome and Jews hated, hated Hellenists. It, it formed its own little sect of basically mm-hmm. a religion. So Jesus actually had three religions following him. <laughs> Hisodems, Hellenists, and Essenes. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in another podcast because oh, it's he's good. got a bunny trail. It's I'm good. trying to get him to focus. He's got a lot to get through. 
So he would, uh, the Apostolos would teach the natives the Greek language. That was part of his job. Him and the colonists would expand through teaching the language. Each day, the colonists and the Apostolos would go to their home and they were, they were commanded basically by the emperor to practice their home language uh, from their, their home country because they were surrounded by a new culture and they didn't want to forget where they were from. They didn't want to forget right. their their culture, their ways. So they would practice the language in their own homes. Now, psychologically, if you were an apostolos and a, uh, the colonists that follow him, you would be surrounded by a people of different culture and you would feel almost alone because your your comrades and your family would have been progressing forward into more territory and you would have been left behind in this unknown region for the most part the military yes would have pulled out i'm sure they left behind some but yeah it would they, be it would the, be a skeleton crew basically exactly you would feel all alone but you would you would have to psychologically tell yourself i have all rome backing me i i have the emperor for me and if the apostolos was murdered it was an act of war because he held the same power as the king. It was a total act of war. So that was the authority that they went in with. Nobody wanted to rise up against him, even though they were outnumbered by the region. Nobody wanted to come against him because it would have been equivalent of killing the emperor. So he was an ambassador, and each region would have these uh, apostolos and colonists while the Roman legions continued to move forward, gaining more and more territory, expanding because their, their motto was expand or die. That was, they were spreading themselves all across the region. And they left these apostles behind to disciple people and turn them into Roman citizens as well. Good Roman citizens. Exactly. Well, Rome then began. Who, who else would be left in this scenario, though? So while the colonists were doing their part, the legions were going forward, expanding territory. They would leave behind surveyors. And surveyors would then construct roads. And uh, all of this is good history, and I hope your brain, if you're listening, is firing right now on what it really means to be apostolic, and you're, you're thinking about what it means to be an apostle. But we're giving this history because we're going to start using these, these illustrations and concepts of an, an apostolos as it applies to relationships. So let's move on a little bit more in the history of, of Athens here. The... Romans uh, would construct these roads and the surveyor's job was to make the road as straight as possible. They didn't spend a lot of times uh, curving. They would even, you know, go through mountainous regions trying to make the road straight because if there was ever an uprising, they wanted their troops to be able to get from city to city quickly. Mm -hmm. And they even paved these roads with stones. The first major Roman road was the famed Apian Way or it was also known as Queen of the Roads. Mm. It was constructed around 312 BC, and it was uh, to serve as a supply route between Republican Rome and its allies during the Second uh, Samnite War. From then on, the road systems often sprang from Roman conquest. Every city was connected, and they would even set up a trade system from right. city to city. It was it was actually beneficial for. Uh, conquered regions to just submit to Rome because it made life easier for them. It afforded them more opportunity um, because they were now more connected with the outside world than they had ever been. Think of the internet. Right. How we got more connected from people across the world instantly 
this is how it would have felt around 312 mm. uh, BC. The dual-edged sword. Right. You're, you're a slave, but it's convenient. Right. It was important for the Roman army to be able to move soldiers and all their baggage around the country, so they built the roads as straight as possible so they could travel quickly. Uh, winding roads took too long, so they just kept it uh, very efficient. So many of these roads actually are still in use today. This is how well they, they executed their roads. The roads connected every region uh, that Rome conquered, and Rome was able to set up outposts and trade routes. So with all of that in mind, it really brings to light what Jesus was telling his apostles in Matthew 10. So I'm going to read it again. Behold, I am, I am apostello. <laughs> I, am, I am sending you out. And take all of that. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you to all those terrible people that we read about in Genesis. That world still exists. Thoughts, they're still cruel people, mean people. And Jesus now has 12 little people that are bearing his image. He's discipled them. He has been an apostle, an apostolos to them. He did that by building roads to them. He found them on the road. And then he sends them out. He says, go into the highways and the hedges. He says, it's all there. And this is why it was so cool to study this. He says, I'm sending you out to all these cruel people that are going to hate you. But you have, to, you have to be like me. You're going to be sheep amongst wolves. So be wise as serpents and be innocent as doves. They were ambassadors to a fallen, hate-filled, and murderous humanity. And they were to go with the authority of their king. They would go forth and teach turn from their former gods and serve the one true God, mm. model their political system to mimic that of the kingdom of God. Mm. They taught to render unto Caesar what is his, but render unto God what is his, teaching them the political system, the, the financial system of the kingdom. They would teach the natives of this fallen world the language of the kingdom. And we see this coming to full light in Acts 2. They would go home each day and practice the language of his home country so as not to forget it while he was surrounded by a people who spoke differently. Right. Jesus was very much telling him, he said, I'm going to send you to an entire culture of, of hate-filled people. Sinners sin is what he was telling them. But be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Psychologically, you're going to think I am all alone. I'm separated from the home country. But psychologically, tell yourself. I'm preparing a place for you was the last thing Jesus told him. Right. I'm, I'm coming back that you're not alone. You're not by yourself. And if anybody martyrs you, it's, it's like it's equivalent of coming against the King himself because I'm sending you with the authority of the King. So in order to do all this, there had to be roads built, but Jesus has all of this in mind. He's, he's using this. It's like this, it's almost like an Easter egg right there in Matthew ten sixteen. that when you really study out what an apostolos is, you start seeing what Jesus was intending to tell them. But instead of building literal roads, he's telling them, he says, how did I get to your heart? What road did I travel? And right. the disciples would then begin to break that down in their mind. Jesus got into my heart by the way he approached me. Time. He was kind. He, was, he spent time with me. Relationship. There was relationship. Jesus built a Roman road to the hearts of these people. Now, it's not like Romans. There had to be roads built directly to people's hearts. And this is what we're going to talk about. To really be apostolic, 
is to be sent into a world that has fallen. It hates, it's hate-filled. Sinner sin is what it is. And when we are filled with the Spirit, baptized in His name, we bear His image, and we are a portion of glory that is filling the earth. We still have to expand His kingdom. And the way we expand His kingdom under this new covenant is through people. When we spread His kingdom to another person and they are converted by way of John 3, 5, Acts 2, we see this person coming into the kingdom and then it's a new it's a new image of glory. And the more people filled with the glory of God, the more his glory covers the earth. But how do we build a road to the heart of a hate-filled society who we see arguing Democrat Republican? Mm-hmm. We see, you know, strife everywhere. We see this religion versus this religion. This uh, ethnicity versus this ethnicity. And it's just so divisive. If I were the devil and I wanted to keep God's glory from spreading, I would put a division between people. It doesn't matter what part of culture you're a part of. It's everywhere. I'm in mom groups and people get into vicious arguments over brand names. Literally can be anything that causes division. Yeah. And a hot topic right now is do you vaccinate your kids? Do you not? It's divisive. Yes, we, we have very. people warring on both ends of that spectrum. And what is burdensome is it's gotten into the church. And here's, here's bottom line. If you're at strife with a brother or a sister, you're not apostolic. It's scripture. You are not apostolic. And this is what we need to talk about. So moving forward, using the concept of expanding his kingdom. We talked about it in the last episode of how to gain territory spiritually. Mm-hmm. How do we gain territory physically literally we do it through people so we have to build a road and this is what it this is what it looks like and this is the conversation we're going to have on the practical side of things let's say you go to starbucks every day and you see the same uh, set of workers every single day maybe not every day because you know depending on shifts but you're acquainted with these people mm-hmm. what are you doing to build a road between God and that person. You're you're wanting them to get on this road journeying towards Christ. Are you are you laying foundation for those people to get there? Right. If you are in line and you're very short with the worker, you're very rude with the worker, you have not become a road, you've become a stumbling block. Yeah, well we talked about this in the context of and I said you can take this analogy so far. Um in the context of a dirt road, a gravel road, a paved road, you know, a highway with rebar through it, you know, you got to clear a forest or clear the brush and the, the stumps and the trees and stuff before you can even start making a road. So maybe it's that person has a bad day. Maybe something is off putting, maybe whatever, but you, you got to start somewhere and you got to start clearing some debris to even get to the next step of even trying to level the ground to, to build a road. It, and that's a time-consuming process. And frankly, we're all very busy and very impatient people. And, and that takes a lot of time to go, to, to be conscious, to make 
conscious decisions throughout the day and pay attention to strangers and people that we already have some type of relationship with. Yeah, let's let's face it. Uh, construction work is not beautiful work. It's not something that a lot of people are striving to do. I want to I want to go work construction building a road. Hey, they had a construction project in Boston, Massachusetts, where I'm originally from, Massachusetts, and uh, it was called the Big Dig, and it went on for I'd be lying if I said I knew how many years, but a lot of years it went on. It became like the big joke that this construction project would never actually be finished because it's very labor intensive and very complicated and yes, big investment. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to take a pause right now because it's real 11, life's happening. It's 1130 and our baby's crying. So we're going to pause right there. Amanda's going to go help him out. And then we're going to pick this conversation back up. Okay, so we're back. Uh, that's real life. If you don't have kids, then you know it's, you'll know in five, ten years, yeah, or we'll figure it out. Something like that. These are the uh, the witching hours. Ugh. <laughs> and by that he means all night. Yes. So we we were talking about uh, building a road to people's lives, and um, last thing I mentioned was the. The fact that really nobody signs up for that. Nobody wants to, I don't say nobody, but there's just not a whole lot of people exiting high school saying, you know what, I'm going to go do road construction. That's what I want to spend the rest of my life on. But take those individuals away and watch uh, watch expansion collapse because that's that's how we get from one place to the other. That's That's point a to point b is by way of highway well because i know at some point we're going to talk about the roads in our hometown yes we will know how vital expanded roads are it's you said something uh that was interesting is you know we're talking about the big dig it's a commitment um you don't just stop in the middle of it because uh, it creates chaos. It creates more chaos. And anybody who <laughs> lives in a city uh, amongst uh, where they're doing uh, road construction, you're very, very well aware of this fact that during road construction, there is more traffic. It's total chaos. It's just a mess. Um, so you're signing up for the long haul when you do the work of of an apostle being apostolic you're building a road to somebody's heart and you may come across somebody who it's going to take much longer than maybe the next person Mm -hmm. and in a very quick society where we want everything quickly there are roads that are just they begun construction and the road was just never finished because somebody just gave up mid stride and just said, you know what? I'd rather take a shortcut to somebody else's heart. And this, this brings up a topic just on that thought. Um, you know, 
wanting quick results kind of uh it i think it i don't know it doesn't do more damage i don't want to say that that's not fair but wanting these quick results kind of makes us uh feel less approachable and less genuine that's a better better word we're we're not as genuine as we could be when we're trying to do it quickly i'll use an example uh, this this happened recently to uh someone we know um someone uh contacted uh a person said hey i want to call you tomorrow i want i would like to have a conversation <laughs> and uh so the person was very much looking forward to the phone call um you know thought hey it might be nice this is somebody i don't talk to very often maybe they have a word from god maybe they have a word of encouragement maybe they just want to go and you know have a have a bite to eat and just chit chat it's nice to have somebody reach out well this person reached out and they they did their you know did the small talk how's the weather kind of kind of conversation how are you doing blah 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 how's the kids and then it just spiraled from there and was like, hey, the reason why I'm calling you is because I just started this uh, multi-level marketing um, business and I would that. like to, I'm trying to get people to sign up and I just would like to know if you're interested. And the the bottom fell out for the person on the other end of the phone because they were like, you only called me because, you know, you wanted me to join this multi-level marketing uh, a ploy of yours and it just felt so disingenuine and taking that and applying it to building a road to somebody's heart. So, you know, say you go up to, and I'll use the Starbucks again, talking to somebody and you say to them, Hey, how are you doing today? Blah, blah, blah. You know, how's, how's the weather? How's your family? So on and so forth. Well, Hey, listen, I'd like to invite you to my church. You know, you, you kind of started building the road. You started outright, but then all of a sudden you went straight for like, let's finish it today. And the person's kind of like, ah, I kind of thought you were really interested in me there for a moment, but you really just, you want me to just come to your church. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but like, are you discerning the situation? Does that person just really need somebody to listen to them today? You know, and I guess the bottom line is there, there is no tactic. You know, I got, I got rubbed raw. I think I was 18 years old and I attended, uh, I attended this seminar where they were teaching how to win souls. And I had an individual come to me and said, Hey, have you learned this technique on how to get people to come to church? And like, before I could stop it, I was extremely hot headed, uh, teenager. And I just like blew off at the mouth and I was like since when did people become a technique you know since when did this get to this point to where we're like here let me let me teach you this technique on how to get people to to come to church on the first try you know I think that we're all guilty of wanting things to happen faster work faster and go faster I know we're I know we're all guilty of it yeah, that's and I think that age. I think that there's, well, I think that there's... We can build this road quicker by building machines. I think there's a couple of reasons. One, we're impatient people. And totally. two, if we really do believe that we have a limited time, as far as in the spiritual, then there's a passion there to want to reach as many people as possible. And I'll apply this to parenting our children. Um, our daughter, Eleanor, will be three this week. And she's hit a much harder stage than the rest of her life has been. 
And it's very hard for me to not rush things, not lose my patience, not get frustrated, um, and not want to see instant results. Because I do want to see instant results. When I say something, I would love her to be perfectly compliant like she was three months ago um, before she developed her own opinions. Uh, I want perfect compliance. I want instant results. I want you know, her to not have these emotional breakdowns that last 45 minutes. But if I'm really parenting and if it's really done out of love, I know that I'm in it for the long game. I'm in it to raise you know, a well-adjusted, empathetic, loving, godly young woman. And that takes time. But it's coming from a place of of love that I want to see those results sooner because I'm afraid when I don't see them. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's discerning each situation and knowing how to navigate because there are some people that are like, don't beat around the bush, just like, what do you want? Invite me to church. You know, (laughs) why didn't you invite me to church sooner? I've even heard people say that. In fact, uh, there's the, the magicians. What, what are their names? Uh, the guy with the long black hair wears glasses. Siegfried and Roy. I have no idea. (laughs) I can't remember the, probably shouldn't have even used this illustration. Nope. It's a very (laughs) well-known magician who is a, he's an atheist and he overheard a guy like passionately talking about uh, on the street corner of the gospel. And the guy came to him and told him uh, with love was telling him the gospel. And the guy looked at him and said, if you really believe, and this was, this was, he actually said this on like the internet uh, on a podcast he had or something. But he said, if you really believe that you have the truth and it would save my soul from what you believe is hell, he said, why won't you share it with people like me? Why wouldn't you do that? Mm -hmm. So you would have to discern that personality. That's, he would he wants you to shoot straight with him some people the second i feel like you're trying to sell me something like when i go to best buy and the direct tv guys come to me and they're trying to like sign me up for a two-year contract i am immediately like turned off and i completely shut down and i don't even want to talk um if you come to me and you're trying to like sell me i'm immediately i'm done right and you know that's but to know to know that person, if that rubs them raw or not, it takes the initial surveying. What's the straightest way to their heart? Right. And that takes sitting down with somebody and getting to know their personality, getting to know them. Uh, you know, it's it's not this overnight, you know, what's the saying? Rome wasn't built in a day. That's, that is exactly the saying, yes. <laughs> Well, as we've looked at this, they were building roads, and it was not done in a day. But like I said, a lot of those roads are still used to this day. It wasn't a, you know, get them in the water, baptize them, and then we're done with them. And Brother Stan Gleason has a great book, um, Follow the Lead, and he talks about that, the difference between it's a stork mentality and emperor penguin mentality. You know, a stork delivers a baby, rings the doorbell, and flies off. That's that's not relational. That's not discipleship. That's not being apostolic and apostolos. It's it's knowing I could build I could be building this road for a very long time. Right. And are you willing to do that sign up for that kind of commitment? 
You know, is that something you're willing to sign up for? We're building roads and we're expanding the kingdom. And the way we do that is through people. But it's not a sterile endeavor. Endeavor. It's a passionate endeavor where we're, we're dealing with real people, with real problems, real hurts, wanting somebody who really cares. I don't know where you're going next with this, but you talked a little bit, or we've spent a good bit of this talking about um, building new roads, basically, to people you don't know necessarily or you know people you come in contact with but we we talked about this on the road a couple weeks ago and I was saying how you know roads require repairs Uh, roads have giant potholes Uh, concrete gets broken up something too heavy drove across the road and it could only withstand so many tons and we're really taking this road analogy really far I know but the point remains is that maybe the road was already built but maybe it's been left in disrepair and it's cracked, it's potholed, you know, it could fit the whole car in there if you tried to drive down it. And those type of relationships require a different um, different type of patience, a different type of approach, a different type of conversation and love pouring into it because this whole thing is managing relationships. Those people need someone to help repair uh, the road from one one thing to the next, you know, for connecting them to the kingdom of God. A brother and, offended is harder to win than a whole city. Right. Yeah. You've been talking about the person at Starbucks who maybe has had no contact. But what about the person who left church or maybe is still sitting in church and they have, you can just look and you can see the road's there, but it's broken. There's giant holes and cracks in it or a giant pothole that could swallow a whole family and if it's not repaired it'll continue to do damage and the only way to fill that is to oh it's a cliche i was gonna say walk that road with them <laughs> it applies <laughs> i feel like we're taking that too far well no that's the reason why i wanted to use the because i believe that's what jesus intended for those disciples to go and meditate on what he said so when they when they heard these phrases, they began to look around. And Paul uses in uh, um, Ephesians, he's talking about the fivefold ministry. He uses apostolos. He sent first mm-hmm. apostolos according to the Bible. And Paul, looking around, is like, "Okay, I see what Rome has done. They've expanded this this their kingdom very well. They were very efficient. They were very methodical." And then he looks at the church. He says, let's use that concept, but let's let's do it in building the kingdom. And the way we need to do that is we need to build roads. We need to communicate, the, uh, teach them the language. You know, in order for an apostolos to teach the language, he had to learn their language so that he could communicate to them his language. And it's all these little things, and it's the authors were intending for us to see this. That's mm-hmm. why we're spending so much time on this road concept because we have to learn how to be better as apostolics in building roads and repairing roads. That, by the way, the, the scripture um, where Jesus is talking about, uh, if two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst or the middle of them. The context of that scripture is reconciliation between brethren. 
you know, he tells him, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile. Because Jesus was saying, once you get it right with the people around you, then I can show up. And he's pulling, you know, he's speaking that to Jews, and the Jews knew exactly what he meant because the two angels on top of the mercy seat of the Ark and the Covenant was taught in Jewish history that God sat between two beings that were reaching for one another. Mm -hmm. And he's pulling from Old Testament, and he's telling them, he says, when you reach for one another as brethren, uh, then I will sit there. I'll come in the middle of it. It's not, it didn't, it wasn't all about, you know, there's two people in this room right now and we're going to have church. It was two people in unity and they, you know, let's just face it in unity. Relationships are messy. Let's just talk about that. Building roads. Like you've driven past road construction and you can take this illustration too far. I'm just going to use this to kind of help us. But you know, the asphalt stinks. (laughs) It's messy. You get nobody. There's nothing that irks me more than when I just detail my car and I drive through where they just filled in a pothole and you hear that <laughs> filling up your fender wells. You're just like, ah, oh, I just got tar all over the side of my vehicle. It's messy work. It's hot, laborious work. But the second you remove those highway workers, you immediately miss them because now you're driving through a jungle. Mm. <laughs> and it's there's no one no one has paved a way. So it's messy work. It's 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 frustrating work when somebody hurts you. The easy thing to do is to just say, you know what, forget it. We're just going to cut that exit off and we'll never take that exit again. We're never going to. But what if there's something off that exit that is beneficial to the both of you? What if there is a, a Walgreens off of that exit? But it, it's it's frustrating work to go and talk to that person and be like, Hey, you know, remember last month when you said that? Well, you didn't know it, but that really hurt me. Because that person may look at you and say, you may open up a can of worms and say, well, six years ago you said this, and it really hacked me off. It's messy. I think we also talked about this in the context of, I, I'm, I'm, my default is always to parenting, but in the context of uh, parenting and then as the child ages, and, you know, we don't have older children, um, by any stretch, but we did student pastor and, uh, that doesn't make us experts, but, uh, gives us a little, a little bit of knowledge. And so I, I, we were talking and I think I said something to the effect of, you know, parents are building roads and building those relationships with their children while they're young. And it, it will show how much they put into it, how much time and going back to like the highway, I know that I think there's reinforcement under some concrete. Yes. I don't know that much, but like rebar, I think is what it's called or whatever. I don't actually know all that, but they're putting reinforcements in the concrete to be able to bear up under these heavy weights and heavy loads that, that are going to wear over time and to be able to take that and flex and not break. And I, once again, my, and it's unseen it's a ton of extra work instead of just pouring concrete. Unrecognized, but, no. But without it, thanks. Without it, cracks and breaks and roads become unusable. And so we were. I was talking about that in the context of parenting with your children, and as they're growing up, and your what you invest in them, time-wise, you know, emotional care will show later on when they hit thirteen and fourteen, and and 
<laughs> wow, the rubber meets the road. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's really late and I'm very sleep deprived. Um, but that'll show that. That will show what type of road you built. Did it, did it stay a little dirt road? Did it become a gravel road, a paved road? Is it a road full of potholes and cracks? Or, you know, is it, is it, is of it years un- old like the Roman road? Or has it become impassable? Has it become where the communication between you and your child or young person is now, it now feels impassable? There, the communication has broken down between the two because there's no road there now built or it wasn't repaired or kept up or it wasn't strong enough to bear up under the weight of those teenage years. That That's what we mean when we say managing relationships. It, it, yes, it's the person at Starbucks and yes, it's, you know, uh, your spouse, but it's, it's all of our relationships. They yeah, have to you, be able to bear up under those weights. Are you willing to apologize? You know, are you willing to go to somebody and say, I have noticed you, you've, uh, your demeanor kind of changed when I'm around. Is there something I, d- I did and then swallow your pride. And if that person just kind of like lets it out on you, you don't always have to defend yourself. Just swallow your pride, take it on the chin and just look at them. And even though you have a legitimate argument, is it worth, uh, damaging the road? Can you just say, I'm sorry, that's, that's selfless work. That's being wise as a serpent, though, and innocent as a dove. Um, that's that's what we're talking about. Do the do the hard work. Go and mend a relationship, um, because this this kingdom does not expand without people, and it does not expand without people bearing His image and His glory. And we need we need to hold each other up. We need to be reinforcement for one another. We need to be willing to build roads, repair roads, um, because we all benefit from roads. That's bottom line. We're all going to benefit from those roads. People are roads. And did we did we build a road to their heart to put them on the road to the kingdom? And there's this, uh, we have just a couple minutes left, but there's this illustration that I keep having to go through my mind because I'm just... I'm an Old Testament buff and just, I love it. But it bears mentioning in this conversation, Deuteronomy 4, Moses tells, uh, he sets this um, this law, essentially. He says, you know, when you get into Canaan, you need to build you cities of refuge. There were to, there was to be mm-hmm. six of them, one on Canaan side and one on Jordan side, on the other side of Jordan. There would be one positioned in the north, one in the, the middle, and then one in the south. Basically, it was established that way so that you could always get to the city of refuge. Well, those cities were put in place for someone who accidentally murdered somebody. And the person who was related to the individual that was murdered had free right to just murder this person before trial. So the murderer would have to run to a city of refuge to await uh, trial. Mm -hmm. And they were safe there. So there were roads leading to these cities of refuge and they were positioned, like I said, you know, two in the north, two in the the middle portion of the land and then two in the south. They were set that way so that you were within 20 minute run in all directions, no matter where you lived in Israel, uh, you could get there. Mm -hmm. Well, 
the job of the priest was to annually walk the road to make sure there was no debris. If there was a bridge across a, uh, a ravine or something, they would have to make sure that it was repaired. They even had signs pointing this direction to refuge. So they would have to make sure the sign was clear. So if someone running from a pursuer trying to kill them, they had to have a clear road of no debris. All the signs had to be clearly marked and the bridges had to be in perfect condition so that these people could get to this safe place. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the church. The church is the city of refuge. That is the, the church. When I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people. We're the church. We're cities of refuge. Is there a clear road? Are we doing the work daily to make sure that people can get to safety? And Christ is our refuge. Right. And we're, we're filled with Christ. So have we done the, done the work of clearing the debris off of a road? Are the signs clearly marked? Are there gaps in the road where there's no, it's impassable? We have to do that word. That was, that work was limited to the priest. That's what the priest's responsibility was. Mm -hmm. And we are a kingdom of kings and priests. The New Testament tells us that we are a royal priesthood. So if we're really going to expand this kingdom, these concepts that we've discussed have to be in mind. You cannot truly be apostolic unless you are expanding kingdoms. And you cannot expand kingdoms unless you are investing in people. We can't make people something sterile. Uh, people are not this, you know, these items to get ahead. People are, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, they're the mankind was the only individual that got focused attention in Genesis. And it's still the same today. It's mankind should still be getting focused attention. And uh, recently I've said this, that uh, there's only two things going to heaven, presence of God and people. So that's the only two things that really deserve all our time. I do think it's interesting. And I guess I've recently been thinking about this. Um, a lot of us, most of us, frankly, have made the joke or made the passing comment in, uh, of, in some shape or form about, you know, people just annoy me. <laughs> and we'll, we all say it well, in I've some shape it. or Right. Everyone says it. Um, but I do think that we need to be more deliberate and conscientious when we say that that we're talking about God's creation. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about those that he wants to see within the kingdom. And like you said, the only things going to heaven are, and that's one of them. And so when you say that, you know, you're speaking, you're speaking that out where you should be building those relationships. And yes, it's complicated. And no, we don't love every moment of it. You're, you're making me think of uh, James 4. I'm going to pull it up really quick because James 4. <laughs> James is amazing. James is like one of my favorite. It's Sorry, that's my Bible software loading up. Uh, <laughs> James is uh, the New Testament Proverbs is what theologians call him. He's the, it's the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, James 4, I think it's 11. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judge his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. Um, let's see. He talks about... Where is it? <laughs> There's another portion in James. I'd have to study it out and look it up. But he talks about we shouldn't talk about our brothers. It's how can uh, clean how can clean water and better water come from the same well? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he ends the the dissertation with my brothers. This should not be. Yeah, we should not talk about one another. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna look that up real quick because it's just so good. going to be some long gap pauses at the end of this podcast. That's okay. I just typed in butter. James 3.11. Trying to memorize the whole Bible. (laughs) Not there. I was just saying that because Aaron likes to be around people a lot. One chapter off. Um, I don't necessarily mind being alone. So it's very easy for me to be like, oh, people annoy me. I just want to be alone. Get away from me. And so it's easy for me and it's challenging for me to focus on building relationships, even with people that I do consider like that I'm close to. Uh, Because, yeah, I don't mind being alone. So it's harder for me to put the effort in sometimes, even though I do care. I'm a perfectionist and I tend to project perfection on people, which is very foolish. It's natural for him to, for it to feel sterile to him. Yes. And not organic. God has like the past month has completely broken me down and rebuilt me up. So what we're saying is we're both horribly flawed. Yes. Completely flawed. (laughs) And I, but I'm, I'm on this journey right now of, vulnerability i think it's healing even on a podcast somebody listening that we're not perfect we're not we're not putting this episode out to say look at what we have figured out and what we're doing go and do likewise Mm -hmm. that is the intention that's what we would love to say but we're flawed and this is a passionate topic because we've been talking a lot about it in the holloway home about how totally flawed we are when it comes to truly being relational and uh, this was this was a you know a drive home uh, from Houston a couple of weeks ago. I was just like I had like this moment. I was meditating on scripture and I was asking God. I said, God, how can I love you more? And that was what I was praying in my mind. And just like this bomb of revelation hit me. And it's probably not going to be revela- revelatory for anybody listening to this, but it was for me. God told me, he said, the way you love on me is when you love on people. And I immediately thought of a quarter when he talked about the greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all mind, soul, strength. And the second is like unto it. When you grab a quarter, you grab both heads and tails. You know, your thumb may be touching heads, but your forefinger is touching tails if you're really grasping that quarter. You cannot truly grasp God and not grasp people. 
it's it's a it's a quarter with two you know two sides it's two sides of a coin so you can't really love people and i immediately started thinking about nicodemus and uh joseph of arimathea how they craved the body of of a of jesus who could do nothing for them and amanda's giving me looks because i'm going too long it's no. good information no it's good information. i just i know that once you get off into this stuff it could continue a lot longer but it is it is a interesting thought when you consider that paul calls the church the body of christ nobody signs up to go to golgotha's hill and to remove a bloody, damaged body. Nobody willingly signs up for that. But Luke 27, I think it is, says that they craved the body. And that's what I've been just consuming lately is, am I really doing that? Here's James 3.11, and we'll close it on this. He's talking about the tongue. How great a forest is... Uh, stupid. Bible software. <laughs> Settings messed up. I just jumped four chapters ahead. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, here it is, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. There it is. There it is. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That's... He's literally saying, he said, how can you love on God and curse mankind? And he's saying what I just said, and I didn't realize it until just now. They're one in the same. If you curse your brother, image. you've cursed God. You can't, you know, you can't uh, spit on a quarter, <laughs> the whole quarter spit on and just say, oh, I'm just spitting on heads. Well, no, you spit on the whole quarter. You can't just hate your brother and also say, I love the Lord. No, it's, they're both one and the same. They're, it's both the body. So wrapping this up, we need to really be apostolic and to truly be apostolic is to love one another, to take the time to do the hard work, build roads, repair those roads, and just let's be truly apostolic in the original sense of the word that's it uh, we're going to be starting a new series of podcasts um, if you stay till the end then you will get the the easter egg which is not really an easter egg it's, i'll just go ahead and tell you what the next series is i'm going to be talking about don't feed the animals that's going to be our next series very excited about that series that's a very topic very good topic um, my wife and i'll be discussing that so tune in you will see the dates on mine or uh, Taylor Fairbanks's uh, social media so be on the lookout for that next podcast will be with him all right we'll see you on the next one